0: Love Talk Radio. on the Blog Talk Radio and Affiliate Networks. This episode is brought to you by the Jefferson School of Population Health and produced by Health Innovation Media, where we monitor the innovation impulse from idea to business model and emerging best practices. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, the producer and co-host of the show, and joining me in the virtual studio as a permanent member of this broadcast team is my colleague, Principal co-host and co-founder of Pop Health Week, Fred Goldstein. Hey, Fred.
1: Hey, Greg. Excited to be launching this show with you. Looking forward to ongoing shows in the weeks to come.
0: Oh, well, that makes two of us. I know we've been at this a while, and it's great to see it materialize, and I think the planets have aligned here. So for those of you not familiar with Fred Goldstein, he is a subject matter expert with deep roots in the hospital health plan, health, wellness, and prevention space, from disease management to population health. Fred is a board member of the Population Health Alliance, PHA, having most recently served as its executive director and now captains the ship at Accountable Health, LLC. And now just a few words about our very special guest, Dr. David Nash, David B. Nash, MD, MBA, was named the founding dean of the Jefferson School of Population Health, the first and only school of its kind in the country, in 2008. This appointment caps an exemplary 25-year tenure on the faculty of Thomas Jefferson University, a leading academic health center founded in Philadelphia, PA, in 1824 as the Jefferson Medical College, now known as the Sidney Kimmel Medical College. He is also the Dr. Raymond C. and Doris N. Grandin Professor of Health Policy. The Jefferson School of Population Health provides innovative educational programming designed to develop healthcare leaders for the future. Its curriculum offerings include master's programs in public health, healthcare quality and safety, health policy and applied health economics, and its most recent and rather timely addition, a master's degree in population health. For the really committed, the school also offers a doctoral program in population health science. Dr. Nash is a board certified internist who is internationally recognized for his work in public accountability for outcomes, physician leadership development, and quality of care improvement. Repeatedly named to Modern Healthcare's list of most powerful persons in healthcare. He serves on the National Quality Forum's Task Force on Improving Population Health and is on the John M. Eisenberg Award Committee from the Joint Commission. He is also a founding member of the Association of Medical Colleges IQ Steering Committee, the group charged with introducing the tenets of quality and safety into medical education. And finally, Dr. Nash has chaired the Technical Advisory Group of the Pennsylvania Healthcare Cost Containment Council for more than 15 years, and he's widely recognized as a pioneer in the public reporting of outcomes. So with that abbreviated introduction, Fred, over to you. Help us get to know this dynamic physician innovator and academic thought leader.
1: Thank you, Greg, and welcome, David. Thank you. Great to be here, guys. Great. David, I can think of no person better to kick off this inaugural program of Population Health Week than you, Population health, as we both well know, oh, you're welcome, has become one of the major buzzwords in the industry and something we hope to explore throughout the coming weeks on this show. But you were actually involved in this field before population health was cool. Can you tell us a little (laughs) bit about how you got into this space and your founding of the Jefferson School?
2: Sure. And what a pleasure to be here, and I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm so Happy to be a part of this program and looking out to all of our listeners uh, really around the world. So, here at Thomas Jefferson University, which is in downtown Philadelphia, we're four blocks from Independence Place and the Liberty Bell, and where the Independence, uh, uh, all the amazing founding of our great country. So, we're very, very happy to be a part of this campus. Our School of Population Health was uh, incorporated and approved by the Board of Trustees of the University uh, in July of 2008. So we're coming up, uh, this is our really seventh anniversary since approval, and we opened the doors to the school in September of 2009, almost six years ago. Our school is the outgrowth of uh, work I was privileged to be doing on our campus previously Jefferson Medical College had a Department of Health Policy, which was formed in 2004. Back then, more than 11 years ago, most medical schools didn't even recognize health policy as a bona fide area of inquiry, but Jefferson was smart enough to actually have an entire department devoted to it. The short story is that our department, by a vote of the Board of Trustees, unanimous vote, in the summer of 08, was turned into the beginning of the School of Population Health. When we opened the doors in 09, we offered degrees in public health, health care quality and safety, and health policy. Subsequently, as Greg noted in my nice introduction, we've added degree programs all online in health economics and outcomes research, and now our penultimate degree in population health. So we have five master's degrees and a part-time in-person doctoral program as well. We have just about 300 students, that's all, spread across the entire world because the vast majority of our students are online with us at any one time across these five wonderful programs. So, Fred, we've been thinking about population health since the um, fall of 2007 three years before health reform, but to close, we also are the editorial home of the peer-reviewed journal, Population Health Management, the official journal of the Population Health Alliance, and we've called it Population Health Management, the journal, for 12 years. So I guess the best answer is we've been at it for a dozen years thinking about population health and all of its implications and ramifications.
1: Well, it's fantastic to now have a place, David, Thanks to you, where we're going to be turning out new thought leaders in this field. And that really is a, a good segue into what we want to discuss today. Everybody says they're doing population health from providers. Vendors are offering systems to do population health. We've got the M-Health folks, the um, hospitals, ACOs. But there really is a definition for population health. Perhaps we start there. What is the definition of population health?
2: Boy, that's a great question, Fred, and I would say at least two times a week I get an email or a phone call from folks across the country asking for at least our perspective, and we don't pretend to have the single best answer, but let me at least tackle your great question, and I'm going to go back to the seminal work of our colleague, Dr. David Kindig, K-I-N-D-I-G. Of course, David is a still very productive faculty emeritus at University of Wisconsin at their Institute for Population Health. In 2003, 12 years ago, we attribute the coining of the term population health to Dr. Kindig and amazing work he did starting in 2003. And he talks about a three-part definition very quickly. The first tier of population health says, hey, hey, there are these outcomes that are pretty important, like morbidity, mortality, and quality of life. And then there are these um, determinants that influence the outcome, like um, genetic endowment, uh, medical care, the social determinants of health, where you live, your zip code. And then there are policies that influence the determinants that influence the outcome. Probably the most important policy would be something like the Affordable Care Act. So part one, outcomes. Part two, these determinants. Part three, the policies. Take all that together, and you have population health. Major punchline of population health, medical care in that second tier is responsible for about 10 to 20% of a society's quality of life, well-being, self-reported healthy days, whatever measure you like, medical care, while critically important, of course, is not the central message. The central message is it's everything else. So that's our working definition of population health, Fred. That That's the one that certainly we built the platform of our five-degree programs on the basis, in no small part, of David Kendig's original work.
1: So when we're talking about the providers and clinicians and these larger organizations that are doing or are putting up the shingle that we are, in fact, doing population health. It's really a a facet of population health, but given that so much of it is the social determinants of where people live, et cetera, the policies that impact population health, they're really functioning as a piece of what is a much broader system.
2: Well, that's certainly the way we view the world, and again, I'm not presumptuous enough to say it's the only and the correct view, but I think, Fred, most of our listeners, I hope, got it. It's those social determinants, poverty, crime, geography. You and I know, Fred, that the most important five-digit number I need to know about you with regard to your health is not your blood pressure, not your cholesterol level, not even your BMI. The most important number is your zip code. Where you live in the United States is predictive, the most powerful predictor of your social class, your level of education, and as a result, your health and even your lifespan. So it's all that messy stuff, those social determinants that are the core drivers of the health of the population. I think today, The real confusion is not so much around the term population health, although that's part of it. It's come to be a synonym for a population of patients for whom we are bearing economic risk. To some extent, it's like we're back to the future. It's 1995 all over again, and instead of capitation, we're using population health and as i said at the outset of this great program every week i'm getting a phone call or an email that sort of says isn't it like capitation well certainly there's a large part of it that sounds a lot like capitation but the central message i think there are two one it's those social determinants that drive the health of the population and two Maybe we ought to adopt what David Kendig described back on June 13 of 2012, nearly three years ago, when he said population medicine or population-based medicine or some synonym close to that describes the practice of a new type of medical care that's principally concerned with the health of a population. You know, as a primary care doctor, I was pretty much trained one person, one problem, one at a time. And that's still pretty much the extant model. But population medicine says, hey, Nash, every patient is obviously pretty darn important, but we have to look at the greater good and how we're doing in the care of the population of patients. I'm okay with all these definitions, Fred, a little bit of splitting hairs. But David Kindig is right. Population health, that's on top and then practicing population-based medicine, well, that's right below it.
1: Right, and obviously we we have to recognize that while it it may sound like it's 10 or 20% of an individual's overall health, quality of life, et cetera, it's an important piece. So that role that providers play in, in doing what may be termed appropriately population health medicine is critical to help us improve from a quality perspective and a cost perspective.
2: Well, you're right, but I think we should take it one step further. Luckily, thank goodness, most people are well most of the time. I mean, thank God for that. The key is a small portion of the population who are chronically ill drive a disproportionate share of the total cost. The 80-20 rule is alive and well in the field of population health. 20% of the population is actually a smaller percentage than that, drive 80 plus percent of all of the cost. So another arm of the population health conversation would argue, hey, let's practice population based medicine on that 20% and that will have lots of positive implications down the road. I'm open to that too, and there's a lot of smart people who suggest that if we just focus on that 20%, we'll get the greatest return for our investment in the health of the population. But again, Fred, uh, most of the leading physician thought leaders were trained in the same year as me, one patient, one problem, one at a time. Overcoming that is not going to be easy.
1: So where are you seeing, David, you're obviously around the country talking to physicians and uh, healthcare leaders all over the place. Where are you seeing these transitions move forward? Is it is it moving quick enough? Uh,
2: wow. What else could yeah. we be doing? Well, sure. I'm an impatient guy, so probably not the right person to ask, Fred, is it moving fast <laughs> enough? I I hope it'll be around while I'm still kicking. But to answer your question sure there are lots of points of light around the nation let's just name a couple of places so you know trinity health out of livonia michigan uh, they're doing a bang-up job Uh, you know they got great leaders they have a senior vice president for population health you've got mercy health out of cincinnati mike Connolly wanting the whole state of Ohio to be in one gigantic pop health delivery system. You've got Banner Health in Arizona. They own their own medical school, so they're training a whole new type of doctor for the future. You've got North Shore, Long Island Jewish, the largest employer in the state of New York. I've lost track how many hospitals. They probably bought one this morning. They have their own insurance plan. So, you know, these organizations are coming in all sizes and shapes. Now you've got Michael Porter and Tom Lee weighing in in the New England Journal talking about IPUs, integrated practice units. So I think we've got a lot of stuff going on in the country, a lot of energy, maybe some entropy, too, and more heat than light being generated here and there. But I'm excited because we're asking the right questions, questions like, How do we allocate resources to have the greatest impact on improving the health of the largest number of people? Now, that's the kind of question that gets a guy like me all excited, and our students and our faculty, too. So these kinds of organizations, Banner, Trinity, Mercy, Geisinger, North Shore, to some extent Jefferson, we're asking these kinds of questions. Maybe we don't have the answer, but we're beginning to ask these very different kinds of questions than, you know, how busy is the hospital, and is the cath lab backed up? You know, it's a completely different worldview, and it's not easy for many folks to embrace the new perspective.
1: Yes, you mentioned briefly this position of uh, Chief Population Health Officer. There's a a lot going on in that area as well. Can you talk a little bit about some of these new jobs and things coming up like that?
2: Sure. Boy, this is really exciting, and I want to give great attribution to my colleague, Rita Numeroff at Numeroff & Associates in St. Louis. More than a year and a half ago, Rita and I decided, gee, we're, we're getting a lot of calls about can we find a population health officer? And we had an editorial in Modern Healthcare together in April of 2014, and now we've launched a nationwide survey to try to get our arms around What is this chief population health officer all about? So I'll be back, I hope, at a future program to tell you the results of our survey. Let me tell you what we know now. So first, led by Dr. Drew Harris, a faculty member on our campus, we did a survey of more than 750 leaders in the field to help us describe population health and what kinds of attributes should the leader of the population health agenda have, and we'll be out with those results soon, so that's another data point. I also know that our colleagues at the advisory board in Washington, D.C., led by people like Dr. Dennis Weaver, Lisa, Lisa, uh, and others, I mean, they even have a website you could go to if you're an advisory board member, and they have ready-to-go job descriptions for the Chief Transformation Officer, the Vice President for Population Health Management, and the Clinical Integration Executive Director. I'm reading right from the website. So the short answer to your question, Fred, is there's a lot of action out there, and I think Integrated Delivery Organizations, or IPUs, as uh, Mike Porter calls them now, are looking for a new type of leader. perhaps a nurse, a physician, a pharmacist with advanced training who understands what population health is really all about
1: moving forward. Yeah, it really is amazing to see all of the growth in the industry and the different people looking at it in their different perspectives. We've seen this. We've talked a little bit about this idea of population medicine and population health. I've seen now these efforts by a number of larger provider groups to say, we are we are very interested in creating health out in that community, and are beginning to step out into that realm. How much of that are you seeing, and do you think it will be impactful, or is that perhaps a bridge too far as they try to step out there?
2: Wow, wow. Well, I hope it's not a, <clears throat> a bridge too far, like uh, you know, in the Netherlands in the Second World War. I hope it's not a bridge too far. Um, that would be that would be sad. I I think we're going to pull it off, Fred. I'm very upbeat about the future. I mean, our school is one small part of the solution, I think, to help build leaders for the future. I think there's research in health affairs that says these ACOs, more and more of them are being led by doctors with advanced training in public health, population health, epidemiology. I think Rita Numeroff and I, our survey is going to show pretty conclusively that a whole new type of leaders being developed in the marketplace because the demand for people who know how to manage a population and where you're at economic risk for all the services, not just primary care but specialty care and care coordination. So I I think it's a very bright future for persons interested in population health and the delivery of integrated services in a risk-bearing environment. I I hope that the marketplace doesn't get hung up on the nomenclature and the vocabulary. At the end of the day, we want to allocate resources to have the greatest impact on the largest number of persons to improve the health of as many people as possible. That's the goal. Uh, But we're trained in a very different model, so we have to reconcile the training, and we have to reconcile the payment, and I'm pretty confident we're gonna be able to do both of these things in uh, in
1: my practice lifetime. That's fantastic. Do you see these payment models beginning to, when you think about risk in a community and populations, beginning to take a look at those social determinants and say, how do we fold that into a risk model? Yes,
2: finally. I uh, Yeah, it's a great question. I think we're seeing everything from Obesity reduction, smoking cessation, uh, AIDS prevention, hypertension screening, diabetes education. I mean, all of this was sort of on the periphery. Now it's front and center. And we're seeing multi-specialty group practices bring back the diabetes nurse educator, the pharmacist, the nutritionist, the physical therapist, because, again, we're going to get paid in no small part, on how we improve the health of the population. Uh, You know, I think, Fred, the most important piece of news in the last couple of weeks is Secretary of Health and Human Services, Sylvia Burwell. I mean, when she noted that more than 50 cents of every Medicare dollar is going to be connected to an outcome measure of the health of the population in another three years, I, I think that's a watershed event. And it certainly made a lot of press, but maybe not every doctor, nurse, pharmacist really embraces it. But uh, 50 cents of every Medicare dollar, so we spend $1.2 billion a day, half of that is a lot of money. And connected to a measure of outcome, well, holy mackerel, that's going to change everything we do every day from top to bottom. So I, I think that's probably the single most important advance for our field yeah, certainly in the last 10 weeks.
1: Yeah, I agree. And as you think about taking things like uh, obesity and saying we, we want to lower these incidence of heart disease and diabetes, it's related to exercise or lack thereof, and it's related to diet and nutrition, how far out into that space and with whom should providers begin to try to set up systems to solve some of those problems that really have to do with built environment, access to food, parks, et cetera?
2: Well, sure, it runs the gamut. I mean, our school is working with a nationally prominent prominent architectural firm to talk about population health in all built environments. We're working with the local health department. With We have a community advisory board with more than 25 individuals on it who help give us advice on everything from smoking to obesity to hypertension to poverty. I mean, it's a work of the entire village to keep everybody healthy. I mean, that is the message of what population health is. It really, I know it sounds corny, but it does take a village. And in our situation in Philadelphia, it takes a big village to, you know, improve the health of the population. We've got a town with five medical schools, and yet in the state of Pennsylvania, our county is the least healthy. So part of our part of our challenge is how do we reconcile being the least healthy county in the face of all of that spending across five medical mm-hmm. schools so shame on us, Fred, if we don't figure it out for the health of our citizens
1: for the future well it's It's really exciting to hear about these new integrations, partnerships, relationships. Looking at the healthcare problems in a much broader context, because I agree with you, that's what it's going to take to fix it. It's something we hope to explore in the show in the coming weeks. We've got a few minutes left, David. Could you comment a little bit on Abington and some of the work you're doing there into telemedicine, perhaps?
2: Sure. So we're excited. Our uh, <clears throat> pardon me, our new um, merger with Abington Health, a very well-respected large community hospital. Our president, Dr. Clasco, describes it as a hub and hub structure. Jefferson and Abington, the two hubs. It's just too early to tell, Fred, but uh, we're, we're excited to get bigger because we know if we're bigger, we can care for the population in a more comprehensive view. I hope that folks around the country will pursue some training with us and get online in our population health certificate in our Population Health Master's Degree, in our Population Health Academy. That's our 40-hour on-campus program. So we're trying to create different touch points, different products, if you will, for different demands in the marketplace, from the academy to the certificate to our Master's Degree. And in those programs, we're going to talk about everything that we talked about today and telemedicine and patient connectivity, and harnessing that Apple Watch to improve your drug compliance. I mean, we're just excited about the the convergence of technology, population health, and changing the economic incentives in a way that will drive behavior
1: in the correct direction. Well, David, this is really an exciting half hour with you. I really appreciate it. And I'd like to be certain that we bring you back to talk about many of these other things you brought up today. I hope so you'll that, hold me right? to it, Fred. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Well,
0: there you have it. I knew this half hour would fly by, and it obviously has. Dave, Thank you, David, for helping us kick off this broadcast of Pop Health Week. And that will have to be the last word. I do want to thank our guest, Dr. David Nash, for his time and insights today do follow him and the Jefferson School of Population Health on Twitter via at Jefferson, J-S-P-H. That's the Jefferson School of Population Health. And on the web as well at jefferson.edu. For details on the Industry Standard Population Health Colloquium, visit www.populationhealthcolloquium.com. And we do this weekly at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on Wednesdays. Join us next week for another episode of Pop Health Week. Thanks to Fred Goldstein. We've got an awesome lineup, so stay tuned. Until then, for Greg Masters, that's me. For Fred Goldstein and the Jefferson School of Population Health, this is Greg Masters saying bye now.